Hey there, Pulse and Black listeners. This is your girl, Christine, checking in today with an exciting episode of this podcast that I cannot wait to share with y'all. Today, I am joined by my good, good sister, not just friend, my good sister, Rokaya. Rokaya is the first, one of the very first friends I made when I moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she has been in my life strong as a, just a force that has blessed me so much. And I'm just excited for you all to hear how our journey contributes to this podcast today. So, hey girl. Hey, hi Christine, how you doing? I am very well, thank you. Good to have you. I'm so honored. You are truly my VIP, my MVP, my all the P's, and I appreciate you for being here. Tell our listeners, girl, where do you hail from? All right. Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you for having me in your podcast. It's really an honor. It's really humbling. I really appreciate you having me here. But yes, yeah, so I am originally from Dakar, Senegal in West Africa, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, from the West, West Africa. <laughs> and I came here, what, in 2003? So it's been at least over 15, 16 years since I've been in, in America. And I came and landed in Kalamazoo, good old Kalamazoo, Michigan. Wow, amazing. And Kalamazoo is quite um, culturally diverse, much more so than Grand Rapids. And so what was the landscape there when you landed? That was your port of entry. Like, what was the landscape there in the Black community specifically? Okay. It was very different because, like, the area I lived in, because I was staying with my big brother and his wife, it was not as diverse as the other parts of Kalamazoo Uh, and it was very different because you leave Africa you know surrounded by black folks everywhere you only see a few white people sticking out here and there you know when you go to a hotel or whatever and then you come here and you're surrounded by white folks so it was very different it was completely the opposite of like yes. how I grew up and what I used to seeing. So it was it was it was hard for me at first kind of like adjusting to this new environment because again I, I've never really had relationships with uh friendship even with, with white folks when I was when I lived in Africa. Mm-hmm. So coming here having to be surrounded by a bunch of white folks it was very different. So it wow. took for me to yeah start working, you know, and being around my brother and his friends to even like find the small Senegalese community that, that is here and also finding black folks, you know, African-Americans or individuals from, you know, other countries in Africa, or even the Caribbean. So it, yes. it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a journey and it still is a journey. Yes, um, we are on it. Mm-hmm. We are on it. So when did you realize that there was some stratification or difference among blacks in Kalamazoo? Oh, man. My, when I started connecting with Black folks, it was mainly through work. Okay. I started um, dealing with African-Americans here and getting to know them and seeing where they live, the lifestyle, like how they're, it's, it's different. Like, and different, again, huh? You liked it? I did. I did. It was different because it was good to be surrounded by your folks, you know, people who look like you, who can understand you, who can understand your love for music, your love for food, your love for Mm -hmm. culture and having your own thing going on. So it was it was a little bit of a culture shock because what we do back home as far as black folks is very different than what African-Americans do here. You know, the lifestyle, things that interest them, you know, the culture here. So it was good to be in contact with them to learn and also 
appreciate their culture because again some of them or most of them were taken their ancestors were taken from the continent and brought here so had, they had to create their own culture right mm. whether and the way they live the what they eat how they dress how they talk you know yes. so many things creating it from this side wow with scraps yes <laughs> Scraps yes, for resources, scraps for spirituality, scraps for emotional wherewithal, scraps for just holding on to dear life, yes, to make a life. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Then fast forward, how'd you find yourself in Grand Rapids? GR? Well, I went to GR because I was going to school at Grand Valley State University. And for so many years, I was commuting back and forth from Kalamazoo to Grand Rapids. So in 2015, I... Um, apply for a job first because again I had to have a job before moving so mm -hmm. I applied for a job and I started working as an AmeriCorps Vista at Bethany Christian Services which is where I met my sister Christine Wong. yes that's where we met those are our roots <laughs> yes indeed and you yes. know being close to school and finish my master's so it was for work and also finishing finishing my master's degree and also change a scenery because I've been in California right. for a long time so it was nice to change and see what else is out here in Michigan and out here you know in the U.S. so it was nice to transition from Kazoo to Kalamazoo from Kalamazoo to uh, Grand Rapids Wow. I find that so interesting that we both arrived in Grand Rapids at the same time. And I had just come from England and moving here, you had come from Kalamazoo. But yet when we connected and you and I became friends, and then you started trying to invite me to all these African-American events and I wasn't having it for reasons we will get into. I find that interesting because it speaks to who we were exposed to as African immigrants when we arrived in the United States mm -hmm. and that I was not immersed in the African-American culture in a healthy way. I was only immersed in it through the lens of those that came before me who didn't view that culture as positive. Mm -hmm. And so I lived in that bubble, whereas you came and were immersed in amazing, beautiful things that the African-American community of Kalamazoo was doing and the people you found there were able to expose you to. And now we see how it shaped our experience in Grand Rapids. So tell our listeners <laughs> the experience you had trying to buy me into going to African-American events and even forging this sense of unity among Black people, which I'm now trying to do through this podcast. But you saw that and a lot of people have seen that for a long time, but we haven't created enough spaces to bring each other in. Talk to mm -hmm. me about how relating to Africans who had the mindset I had back then was challenging for you and how you always found yourself maybe in the middle at times. Right. Well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know, for me personally, first I want to start by saying that even when I came here, you know, I'm, I was hearing things as far as like how Africans and African-Americans should not uh, mingle, should, should not connect or trying to do anything because all all these negative stereotypes that, you know, are put on African-Americans and me being who I am, being curious and loving our people, like from the very jump, I was like, no, I'm going to find out by mm -hmm. myself. I'm not going to just continue to listen to this narrative that, you know, shames African-Americans and put all these negative labels on them. No, I refuse to do that. I'm going to find out by myself. And once I did that, that's when I really started connecting with African-Americans in my community and finding out more about them, which 
I was like, whatever stereotypes they put on them was a bunch of lies. You know, wow. they're saying all these things to divide us, you know, between Africans and African Americans. Because with them too, they have these stereotypes about us Africans saying that we come here, we take their jobs, we come from villages, we don't know anything, uh, we don't want to be connected with them. And just that divide and the lack of sure. knowledge and the lack of communication. So, that's when I really started saying like, no, I'm going to change this, at least for myself and also the people that I know who are around me who are Africans and are not really dealing with African-Americans. So that's why I was really, really eager for you to come with me. It was challenging. Every time I had something going on, whether it's a meeting, uh, some type of event that would, you know, bring both Africans and African-Americans in the same space, I would invite you for you to come and see for yourself so you can make right. your own judgment or uh, come up with your own conclusion, not based on what, you know, previous generations have experienced or what you've heard on the news or what you've read and things like that. So finding out for yourself. And mm. I feel like, I wish I, you would have came. I tried many you times. You sure did. <laughs> you used to tell me, Baba Kwame, somebody is having an event, Baba Kunte. I was like, first of all, with the names, like, why? Like, just be you. Like, I'll still, I might come. But then not realizing the depth and the seriousness of somebody seeking a more Afrocentric identity and way of, you know, reclaiming what was once theirs by way of culture, even through their name, our mm -hmm. most prominent part of our identity was stripped from these people. Indeed. I can't imagine if I didn't have the names I have and what I know they mean and the people in my lineage that share those names and what it means to us, like having all that extracted from your being, you know, many generations over generations. Right. Um, and, and now, and, I'm, and I will tell you, like I told you then, I really was not buying into this whole thing of we have to mix. I'm like, African-Americans can do their thing over here. Africans can do their thing over here. And occasionally we go to a Caribbean, what are they called? The, the parades they do the that parades are carnival. And we go there and we all mix and mingle and we're happy because you know, the Caribbeans are the safe place to go. Like everybody wants some reggae and some jerk chicken. So <laughs> we can meet there. And then after that, I'll see you next wow. time. And, yeah. and that's it. And you know how unfortunate because I'm sure there have been African communities that that is what they have pushed on their generations and, you know, of, of family that is here. And we're starting to see that it does not work in our favor to be divided. It really and, doesn't. Yeah. What are some of the benefits you would say, other than relationships, that you have gained by being a part of a more Pan-African community than most of us? Besides the friendship, just being able to network and also mm. learning the damage that colonization, slavery has cause here especially when it comes to african americans and how going back and fetching to learn about where they come from mm. is so valuable it, it, it brings so a sense of peace a sense of how can i say this like wow this i'm, I'm doing something I'm, I'm i'm participating in reunifying and getting africans and african americans together learning about opportunities also to build back home africans and african americans connecting to go back, whether it's Ghana, Kenya, Senegal, Zimbabwe, other countries in Africa to rebuild, to 
be able to first of all learn about the culture and also yes. invest back home because everybody else is going to Africa and investing, but Black folks aren't doing it because again of those stereotypes that mm. are put out there. So being able to yes. basically, I wouldn't say sell Africa to African Americans, but like Extend. encourage them, yeah, encourage and them then, to come back. Yes, come back wow. home. You know, it's wow. your home too. And they are waking up, and it is good to see that awakening because wow. we are the same people. We are yes. the same people and yes. being together, unifying, it will be more beneficial to the black people, to black people as a whole than being divided, staying divided. And, you know, each of us staying in silos and not communicating, connecting and building. Right. And, and what I've realized is in doing so, we extend healing because we all need to heal from something. I know my African-American brothers and sisters are looking for a sense of peace, a sense mm -hmm. of healing, a sense of, you know, um, that cultural place of home. Right. Yeah. And for us, when we come here and experience the, the, the depth and damage and trauma of systemic racism, we don't have anybody to process it with. And so it, it it behooves us to have that, you know, Pan-African relationship because I can go to my African-American friends and learn to have a voice in matters of social and racial justice, right? Because if we are going to birth Black babies, I think I mentioned this on almost every other episode, because it doesn't end with you. And a lot of life is not about one person. We are not an island. So your children will benefit from you being more aware, number one, of history, dispelling these myths and stereotypes, yes. and then building relationships that unify people. Because, you know, when you travel, I know you've traveled to the Caribbean. I did. I went to Jamaica, which was yes. a wonderful experience. I felt like I was, I was home, literally, how we live back home. And wow. I didn't stay in a hotel or resort. I was living in like the rural area, if you would say that, and just going to the river, bathing, you know, wow. eating street food and, you know, hearing people talk. And it was beautiful. Yes. And I know you went with a friend you made here. Yes, I did. A Jamaican and sister whom I met through the, again, the connection between African and African-American building the bridge. Her husband is African-American. Wow. And he's the one who introduced me to his wife. And again, who is that, Jamaican. That about, who is Jamaican. And that came about wow. like two years, two, three years later. I was able to go with her and spend some time with her and her family. So the benefits, you are reaping the benefits of cross-cultural Black relationships yeah. just recently. Wow. And what was your experience when you went to Jamaica? Like when you went to Jamaica with a woman who was Jamaican, is Jamaican, married to an African-American, how did that dynamic shape up in Jamaica? It, it, it was fine because even like her husband, like he's really, because the husband went to Jamaica years ago as a, I think he went for some philanthropic work there okay. and was teaching. So he okay. was teaching English and that's where he met his wife. Wow. And you know, things like inner, you know, relationships like that is, it's definitely approved because again, Jamaica is majority black. So if they yes. see an American, African-American and, you know, a Jamaican, a sister from there getting together and marrying is definitely, that's a good look because again, right. the majority of Jamaican, you know, pro-black, you know, you have very Rasta, much so maroons. Yes. So anything that would expand our, our, our community, you know, again, mm. global, we are all over the world. Black folks, yes. are here, you know, so yes. continue to, create unity they about it wow that is beautiful because i will say it's it's 
not common in, I want to say, traditional conservative African homes to find intercultural marriages being received unless you're bringing home a white man. <laughs> right. Usually or a white saying. woman. It's very, yeah, that logic is prevalent through our Yes. <laughs> so whenever you bring home another African, uh, uh, somebody from the Caribbean, somebody from the U.S., somebody from Canada, or whatever other Western country you found them, even if they are Black, there is more curiosity as to where did you find them? What do they do for a living? What kind of family do they cover? Whereas you can bring home a white partner and they don't, they don't look past the skin. They don't yeah. investigate past the skin. They don't ask what tribe they're from. They don't ask what church they go to. They don't ask who their mama is. They just accept the person. And again, that's a post-colonial lens. Indeed, it is. Right? Because that white person is like, it's a symbol of, oh, yes, you made it. So we don't need to ask all those questions or all those details. Oh, details. You married wow. a white man or a white woman? Oh, yes. Your wow. ticket to, to like being rich or being just to be able to make it, to have made right. it. Right, right. And your children are celebrated even more because they're fair-skinned. Mm -hmm. They have the yeah. quote-unquote good hair. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I am biased. Privilege. Yes. 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 And so all these things, I think we come to accept of ourselves more when we are among more black people who are different than us and learn that we are more similar than we are different. Because like you said, the mainstream narrative is of our difference. Yes. That's all they promote. And going wow. to Jamaica really, again, show me we are the same people. Like they do the same thing we do, whether it's cooking or living together in the same household. You have mom, uncle, aunties, cousins, yes. everybody living in the same household, eating together, you know, going to the market every day to buy food or every other day to get fruits and veggies to come and cook for the day. So all yes. so many similarities. I, I Like I said, I felt at home. It didn't feel like I was, you know, in a, in a foreign land. I felt like it was an extension of our people there. And yes. I really like that because that is what I hope to do more of is travel in more African countries. Because again, in the motherland, we don't see it as exotic or fun or enticing or something to talk about to say, I went to Ghana, I went to Senegal, I went to South Africa, I went to Togo, I went to Nigeria. You want to be known to have gone to Dubai, you went to India, you went to China, heck, you went to the US, Canada, Australia, the UK. You know, you want to be seen to be more in proximity to the Western world right, than right. countries with people that look like you. That's not seen as advanced. That's no. not seen as, you know, sophisticated. Mm -hmm. But I want people to bring back Black sophistication. Okay. Amen. Yes, that's what I'm talking bring about. Bring back. Black is royalty. Yes. To heck with sophistication. Black has been royalty for ages. Can you even believe it's me saying this? Isn't that crazy? We need a part. I'm so shy. I mean, the transformation that I've seen uh, you know, just looking at you, hearing you talk over the years, it's just, it makes me happy. It makes my heart just smile. And I love it. This mentality, we need it. We need yes. more of it. You know, and again, because of the silos that we were in, we're all yes. in this little bubble, not wanting to deal with others. But once yes. you get out of that bubble or get out of that box, you're like, wow, I was missing out on all of this. Like, right. It, it just like the awakening is, is surreal. And I think what I get from that when I listen to you is as much as we can learn to be divided, we can unlearn it because I unlearned it. Mm -hmm. And then we can learn to love. Yes. And move Any, forward. Let's do it yes. together. Let's work together. 
Amen. And tell our listeners in closing how they can reach you, connect with you, support any ventures you have going because this show is to uplift and center our achievements. How can we reach you or connect with you? Oh, well, you can reach me um, via email at n-d-e-y-e-r at gmail.com. I also have a small business that I started a few years ago called Motherland Beauties, which is for profit, but more of a social enterprise because I yes. work with a group of men and women in Senegal who make less than $3 a day and, you know, showing their, I guess, artwork and also promoting their businesses here on the continent here in America to provide additional income to them. So I have a Facebook page on Motherland Beauties where I have beautiful jewelry you can go and purchase to support not only me, but also uh, men and women I work with back in Senegal. Beautiful. Yeah. And last but not least, I just started, I got certified last year as a doula, a labor So I'm waiting for you to, you know, Uh, give me that phone call or that email, be like, uh, I am expecting and I want you to be my doula. So yes, yes. if anybody yes. need labor doula services, I'll be more than happy to provide that service to them. And Listen. again, my Gmail is N-D-E-Y-E-R-N-D-A-O at gmail.com. Beautiful. I love it. As soon as my husband arrives, he's on a late train. He has not arrived yet. When he arrives and we start our family, I told you, I want the incense. I want the candles. I want the African drummers. I want everybody in the, no, yes, I'm, kidding, but... I'm No, we're going to bring all that. We're bringing it all. I want the whole package. Thank you, sister. I appreciate you. Thank you for being on here and sharing this. I'll have you back because, you know, I, I, I need your, your energy and I need your lens and perspective as we keep growing this platform. So thank you for being here. Everybody, thank you for listening. That was Rokai on an episode of Pulsing Black. I am your host, Christine. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you.